Welcome to The Change Jar. I am Sarik Hussein, joined by Ashley Tate, and we're inviting you to have conversations with us, where through a series of interviews and storytelling, we aim to create agency, inspire future generations, and empower Black, Indigenous people of color to be change makers. All right, so Ariel, thank you for joining us tonight. If you can start by just telling us a little bit about yourself. Well, my name is Ariel Yvette Smith, CPA. I have about 13 years of accounting experience. I've worked in mostly public accounting and audit, and now I've moved on to nonprofit accounting, where you know I'm mostly just responsible for grant requirements and that kind of stuff. Nothing exciting. Excellent. Ariel, we're so happy that you're joining us tonight. We'll get started I'm with our first. Thank you. Our first question for you is, how are you doing as a woman of color within the professional spaces that you occupy? Oh, I'm in the fight of my life. I'm struggling. And I think that I speak for a lot of women, especially, you know, women of color. It's one of the things that you did have as your advantage was, you know, being in the office and, you know, being in the office, you was going to be silenced anyway. But now that you're at home, it's even easier to, you know, silence you. So it's, it's just hard to not come off as either, you know, aggressive or, you know, come off, you know, as I'm trying to hog up time just purely because I know that I can easily disappear. That sounds a little strong, a little heavy, feeling like you could easily disappear. <laughs> Do you feel like your voice is often getting lost because you're working from home and because of the pressures of COVID on top of being a Black woman in your space of work? Well, of course. I think that just in general, especially depending on what department you're in or what function you had in your corporate job, a lot of it was, you know, person to person, interpersonal things. And now that we're working from home, everything's via email or via Zoom. And, you know, we're not. And a lot of us, since we've been on lockdown so long, our patience is not where it used to be. And also as a woman of color watching what's going on in the news, try not to bring what's personally going on with you to work you know you just everybody should do that but it's just hard when constantly on the news you're seeing you know another black man has been shot or you know someone else has been discriminated against because of you know, maybe their hairstyle or because you know they were you know it's just it's after you see so much of that you almost just want to just tap out and just say you know what it's just it's too much and I feel like it's even harder because now the lines are so much more blurred because you would go to work and you have work. You go home, you have home. But now when you're working from home, everything is just interwoven and there is no separation. There is no physical separation of when I step out the door, I'm ready to face the world in a new light because you step outside your bathroom and then you go to your home office and you're back doing the same thing and kind of right. immersed in that same environment. So let's talk a little bit about double standards. I'm sure you have some thoughts, some experiences, but if you're comfortable sharing any moment or moments that have had a lasting impression for you in terms of you dealing with double standards in the workplace. I mean, I can, you know, most of my public accounting experience was, you know, the, it was, you know, if you did, if you look like me and you stood up for yourself, you're being aggressive, you're being angry, you're, you know, and almost to the point where they felt like you were being unappreciative and that's a whole nother level of, right. And so, but as, you know, someone who didn't look like me, if they did the same thing, stood up for the same principles, oh, well, she's just strong. Oh, she's a leader. She's, a, you know, so it's just the terms that they use to describe you when, you know, 
you carry the traits of the things that they like and somebody who don't look like you, but everything that negative that comes with that, that's what's put on you. You don't get the, she's a leader. You don't get the, she's a, you know, strong person. You get more of the, you know, oh, well, she's angry. Well, you know, part of it is that, but that has nothing to do with the workplace. And that has everything to do with something else. But, you know, what I'm doing here is no different than what, you know, my counterpart is doing, but you look at me different because of how I look. Right. And I feel like it's so easy in some places of work for people to just throw and tack on the angry black woman narrative. Even if they don't call it as angry black woman, you can tell it's a sinking feeling in you because you're like, no, why can't I be angry and black and a woman without having to be the narrative of the angry black woman? And, and you know, some of that is, you know, some of that's not their fault. And that's why I'm trying, I'm trying to get people to just talk to each other more. Because I've worked with people where I was one of the closest black people they got to, you know, and that's just a nine to five job. So, you know, that means that their schooling, their, their homes, their surroundings, they didn't see me. So they had the only perception they had of me is what they saw on Real Housewives of Atlanta. So, of course, when I, you know, speak a certain type of way, that's what they think of me. Oh, well, she's just being the knee knee leaks. No, 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 no. And that's because you, that's the only interaction with Black people, me and Nene Leakes. And so, you know, what, how can you compete with that? How do you find that patience to acknowledge and to understand that you may be a lot of people's first encounter of a Black woman in their work setting? This is just the honest truth. I don't want to be poor. Like, I just don't want to be poor. There are some things that you have to eat. And I, you know, and I, and this is going to sound messed up, but I mean, no harm by it. The higher you get in corporate, the more you have to swallow. That's just how that is. When you are a lower level worker, you know that I can go give me another one of these jobs. But the higher you get, it's harder to find those jobs over and over again. So you know, well, look, I'm in this position. I'm in a good place. If I say something, I could lose this and I might not get back here. That's a decision that is, a lot of people can't make. So, I, you know, a lot of us have swallowed things that we probably would have said something or should have said something purely because we don't want to be homeless. Do you feel like you've made some sacrifices as a Black woman trying to climb the corporate ladder, understanding that at the top of that corporate ladder is going to be a lot of white men? I don't necessarily think I've made any sacrifices. No, I, I, I think I've, I've not, I've, how can I put this? I've not spoken up when I probably should have. I've overlooked comments that I probably should have addressed. That, you know, I've, I've done a lot of that. And a lot of that was just protecting myself, you know, and that's, I guess that's a selfish thing to do. But, you know, it's almost, you know, it's like anybody else, you try to do self-preservation. You know, I'm, I, I'm, I need to pay rent. So, I, you know, if I address the CEO on something that he said was tacky, not only will he be mad at me, but everybody around me. And do I want to put that target on my back? So it's, sometimes it's not worth it. It's a sad realization that in order to keep your job, in order to keep getting paid, sometimes you have to really struggle internally with, is this moment worth what could possibly happen to speak up or not speak up? And it's sad that we live in a world where we have to choose between verbally defending ourselves and having a job. Ariel, as you've gone through your professional career and moving up in, in the corporate places that you've been and now the nonprofit places that you've been, how have you gotten or do you feel comfortable more so talking about gender inequalities in the workplace? I didn't experience a lot of that, honestly. Um, I've worked for some very powerful women and they wielded a lot of respect in the circles that, you know, so I, I didn't really have that experience. 
most of the the places that I've worked, the women were the dominant force. So, not you know, not in the workplace. I've experienced it, but not not in the workplace. And being around that environment has that lended to certain conversations that you're more easily able to have about gender inequality or just talking to other women about your lived experiences? Oh, of course. You know, once you see, you know, especially as you're young, when you're young in your career and you see a woman that not only commands a room when there's women in the room, but also makes the men stand at attention, like you start thinking, okay, well, whatever she's doing, I'm gonna do some of that because that's working. And so you, you know, being around that, it gives, it also gives you a, a sense of, in, of courage, you know? Well, if she can speak up, you know, that means I can speak up too. And, you know, if, you know, if they shut me down, I'm just gonna tell her and then she gonna jump on them for me. So, I mean, it is, it's, it is empowering. I, you know, it's, it's been interesting to hear, Ariel, the things that you're, you're saying that wanting to have a job, wanting to not be homeless, wanting to have this paycheck, what would you say, you know, as you've experienced these powerful women in these places and have looked at them as role models, what are some of the conversations that you feel that more empowered to have? I know you said there are times where you haven't said something where you should have or let comments slide. Do you see that you're doing that more so now? Or what would it take to have those conversations to where you feel that you can move the needle in the places that you're occupying? One of the, for me, I've never been a, been shy about speaking up for me being a woman because, you know, I, that's never been, the things that when I say I haven't spoke up for is is 100% because I'm a black woman and somebody has said something that is offensive and they should have said and said it as a joke where other people laugh because they think that's okay, like that kind of stuff. Or, you know, somebody make a reference to something and, you know, call a, a whole group criminals or say a whole, you know, just make generalizations about stuff that I, and, you know, it burns you in the inside not to say anything, but, you know, so I, I, I can't say that, you know, that's one of the, but as far as like, you know, one of the things that seeing women like that who are powerful and who are, you know, taking charge of their career, one of the things that it encouraged me to talk about is, you know, just in general, standing up for myself. Now, am I the person that is going to say anything about the racial things? No, because I don't want to be poor. But I have said, okay, well, I'm being mistreated and everybody else is being mistreated in the same way. Now, if I'm the only one that's being, and that's the sad part, when we're the only one that's being affected in it, like we're the only, the only Black person that's being affected, it's hard for us to say anything. But if I'm being affected by it and three other people who don't look like me are being affected by it, oh, well, because, you know, they're going to support me and they're not going to say anything and they're going to root behind me because I have the courage to say something. So, I mean, you know, that, that does work to your benefit if you have other people who are experiencing that same whatever you're going through. We don't say anything because we don't want to be ostracized as being old. And they'll call you a race baiter now. That's a new term. So I know earlier you mentioned about colleagues who provide a sense of empowerment, free to speak up, and sometimes encourage you to say things or do some things, or you'll see someone else and feel inspired by them, particularly women. Do you feel that our colleagues, men or women, have a certain obligation or have a certain role to fulfill when it comes to talking about or addressing or facing gender inequality in the places that you work in? Yes, definitely they do, especially those who have the power in the workplace, like those who, you know, people look to as, you know, a respectful figure when they talk, everybody jump. Those people, I feel like, have a responsibility because I, you know, and this is just me as a person. I feel like as a leader, you can't just lead somebody who just, you know, who only identifies with something you like. Well, I'm a male, so he's a male, so I'm going to do something that's for males. Or she's a female. As a leader, you have to be able to lead everyone. And I think that if, you know, more people would say, you know what, and, and step up for things that's not right. 
oh, well, this woman is being harassed or this woman is not being paid as much. If the CEO came in there and said, hey, that's not right, no other woman would ever get paid lower than what it was because the CEO came and said something. But because the people that are in power never says anything, nothing ever moves. I know you mentioned just now, Ariel, the, the CEO and the positions of authority and the power that they have in helping some of these things move forward. What steps would you like to see your workplace take to overcome gender inequality? Um, honestly, you know, with me not being in a, a position of power, it was it pretty much me be dictating to other people what I expect of them to be as a, a moral human person. You know, uh, I think in the workplace, I think we sometimes we we get frustrated because we're like, okay, well, that's just a decent thing to do. But you know, a lot of people aren't decent. They, they they're not. You know, they don't even cross their mind. You know, I think the general answer is listen to your employees. You know taking into consideration, you know, where they are and what they're feeling. And if somebody brings you a complaint, like take that complaint seriously and not necessarily just push them over to the side because you look like, oh, well, she's black, so she must be aggressive. Or, oh, she's a woman. She must be emotional. Like take that complaint seriously and do something about it. And, and like I said, again, the reason I say that it's loaded is because honestly, we we can't dictate how these companies uh, decide to operate. We, you know, we are just exchanging time and service for a check. You know, that's their building, that's their establishment. You know, there are a lot of co-ops where, you know, co-ops where everybody gets to say so and we don't work in that world. And so I just think it's difficult, you know, talking to, you know, us as employees saying, hey, what should we do and what can we do? Absolutely nothing. This conversation needs to be had at the executive board meeting, CEO level, and they're not talking about that. They're talking about how to get the dollar to increase. And if that means cutting you because you complain, that's just more savings on the bottom line. And that's a gospel truth. <laughs> so the next question I have for you, Ariel, is do you have any words of advice for other women in the workplace who may be struggling with gender inequality or other similar issues that you've mentioned? Like I said before, I've never really encountered a lot of gender inequality. Now, and, and I might have experienced it and just didn't know that I was being paid significantly less. That's another thing they tell you in corporate. Do not talk about your salary because there's no reason for me to be mad at the, the guy or be mad at the fact that my firm is paying me less than a woman because I don't know. So, I mean, I, you know, that might have happened to me, but most of the time, I, most of my issue was being a black person in corporate. The advice I would give especially us younger. When I say younger, millennial, Generation Z, because, you know, a lot of them are starting to fly into the workforce and they're just excited and, yeah. Uh, we got to calm down. We, I think, are, 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 we're aggressive when it comes to social awareness and being a social warrior and that kind of stuff. And a lot of times we're going to these workplaces thinking that, hey, this social warrior hat that I put on, everybody's going to rally behind me because it's the right thing to do. And we find ourselves out on an island in corporate America because we are standing up for things. And I'm not saying don't stand up for yourself What because you need to stand up for yourself. What I'm saying is don't jump on every bandwagon, every disgruntled this, because it's so easy in corporate for one girl to be complaining. You'd be like, yes, right, you're right. Let's go do something about it. And the moment you march in there, that girl disappear and you and they talk about yourself. That's usually how it goes. So you you have to stand up. You have to you know speak up for yourself. But you also be smart about it. Like let's not just, we don't want to come off as being aggressive we don't want to come off as emotional and then they're waving us away like there's a way to you know approach conflict 
there's a way to approach, you know, a complaint. And a lot of the times, because we're in our emotions, we don't handle it correctly. We don't approach the right people. We don't approach it the right way. Or we end in a situation where we tell one girl that we thought was our friend and then it got around. And by the time we actually get to HR, they have a whole completely different story because we told. So it's just a strategic way we have to go about getting, you know, the rights that we deserve. Also, and it, some people might not like that, this, but uh, if you're somewhere where you just don't feel like you're going, sometimes you got to leave. There's absolutely nothing that you're going to be able to do. You can try to talk to your blue in the face. Sometimes it's just better for your mental and your peace to just leave that job alone. Like I have done that many a times where I was like, I'm, I'm banging my head up against the wall. And because I'm trying to fight for something I believe is right now, I have this target on my back. Well, it's not worth it. The check's not worth it. Like we need to stop thinking, being emotional about our employment. You are exchanging time and service for money. That's it. That's the end of that contract. Like that's no, there is no breach of contract because they try to emotionally manipulate you. Oh, don't say this because you know, we have the, we don't want to mess up the morale around. That is not what you're here for. You're not here about, you know, trying to keep their morale together. You're here to exchange service and time for money. And if they can't do that on a playing field, that you're comfortable. And I'm just going to get up and go. Well, the reality is we're being interviewed for a job and we're trying to get everything dotted right and, and crossed properly. And we don't do a lot or enough of that interviewing of that organization or of those individuals. What would you kind of share about a person to do ahead of time, maybe research, maybe during the interview process to kind of identify what that culture may be like or what their position for success may be in an organization? Well, I think on, in my experience, I've had an advantage because I was an auditor for you know, 10, 12 years. So I'm, I'm good at listening to people and hearing what they're not saying. And, you know, I think that's a, a skill that everybody needs to learn. Like when you go into the job, you know, yes, they, you know, if they really want you after you got towards the preliminary introductions and all the flowers and you give them your skills or whatnot, then they start trying to convince you, oh, this is the place for you. Oh, that's where you get to learn most of the, especially because in corporate, they see you to lunch with like one of their two top golden children. Like they always, they ain't going to send nobody. And then they're going to send one person that look like you. So the golden children going to be there. And it's going to be that one girl that she only gets to go because they hired you and not somebody who didn't look like you. Okay. So then all of y'all are at lunch. The best way that I, I usually do it is I see how they interact with the girl who just got invited just because. If they just all over me, oh yeah, are you da 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 da? And they're told a girl over there looking like, oh, don't do it, don't do it. I already know the dynamics of it. Or, or when I walk into a firm and the only black person I see is the receptionist, it gives you a couple of, okay, okay, I, I give you an idea of what I'm going through. But not to say that just because you walk into a place where nobody looks like you, that those people are against you. I've been in places where nobody looked like me and they love me to death. But it's the type of people that you're around. And, you know, like I said, once you get there, you know, a couple of days or whatnot, start talking to like the receptionist. Don't talk to employees. Don't don't talk to talk to the front desk lady. Talk to the person who make the copies. Talk. Find a relationship with there. I'll get more information from them. And so, and then two weeks in, I know, oh, probably this ain't the place for me. I probably need to be looking somewhere else. Or if you can get that information beforehand, you can look at a job that you want. Go Google, and you can find people who work there. You go to Glassdoor and find one of them girls on there with that one two star. Oh, they would love to tell you everything and they would name names and they would tell you what outfits they wear on Wednesday. You have to do some investigation when you're going into, because I was like, you know, just like you said, I'm being interviewed. They want to know everything about me. They want to make sure that I can do this job. They want to make sure that I'm not going to mess up what they quote unquote got as an environment around. Oh, they go through all these vetting things. They run your background, your criminal. 
But what do we do to vet them? Well, and then also, most of the time, they get you in a vulnerable state. Because most of the time, when you're looking for a job, you want to get out of the situation that you're in. So you're already in this position, like, I just want them to want me. And so you're in this, you know, I meet a new girlfriend type of stage. And you're like, oh, well, I just want to show off my best or whatnot. Not realizing that, you know, hey, they got four or five of the side pieces on the other side. They saying the same thing to them. But you're not thinking that because you just want a job. So it's, it's just taking that moment back, taking a step back and saying, you know what? Is this somewhere that I can grow in my career? And two, it, even if I can grow, because I've been in places where I can grow, I was miserable, learned so much stuff. I was miserable. It, that place turned me into something that I didn't want to be. It, is, it, is, it, is that trade-off good enough for you? It became where it wasn't good enough for me. I did the trade-off for a little while. Felt like I should have got hazard pay for some of the stuff that I had to go through. But the trade-off for me was me learning. The moment I felt like I wasn't learning enough to be, it wasn't worth it. So I left. I love your comparison and kind of analogy of talking about jobs as if it's modern day speed dating. And Mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting and funny because I think a lot of flack that millennials get is like not staying at a job, not being uh, loyal or faithful to employers for whatever reasons. But it's just funny to also hear in the context of like, well, no, we're thinking of it as speed dating. Like I'm only as happy and fulfilled in this position as you make me happy and fulfilled. And once that's gone, I'm gone. <laughs> right. And I, I think a lot of people who say that comment, who make this comparison about millennials and Gen Z's that we don't, we're not loyal, we're not. We are also the kids of the, the parents who in 2008, they were walked out of the job that they had been at 30 something years. It didn't matter that they had stayed loyal. It didn't matter that they got there early. It didn't matter that they stayed late. We watched what you did to our parents. We watched what you did to our grandparents. You think we gonna let you do it to us? No, we'll leave first. You don't care about loyalty. You only care about loyalty when it's time to hand out little plaques at the five years. You don't care about me being here for five years. You don't even know my name until it's time to come up. When does she get hired? Oh, it's time for her plaque. No, that's not good enough. And we're not our parents' generation. You don't give me what you gave my parents' generation. You gave them pensions. You gave them livable wages. You gave them the ability to have one income and they were able to take care of their family. You didn't give me none of that. So you want me to give you what my parents and my grandparents gave you and you gave me less than 10% of what you gave them? No, millennials and Gen Gen Z said, no, we don't want to play that game no more. We're going to play it how we want to play it. It's a game we got to play because we got to eat. We got to play rent. But we just decided we're going to change the rules to it. And if you don't like it, then we'll go somewhere else and we'll play by their rules. And if they don't like it, we'll just keep moving. They said, there's a study that said generation millennials and generation Z will have upward to 25 jobs in our lifetime. They probably about right. And, 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 and a lot of it is not just because we leave. Look at how many economic turmoils have we been in just in our adulthood. How many recessions more? How are we going every 10 years seem like we're going to go through recession? So in our 40s, let's all get together because it's going to be another one. Like that, what do you expect our generation to do? Like, I just think that's unfair. And, you know, baby boomers, they, in Generation X, oh, they just love to throw that in your face. Like they didn't live in a time where things were stable, where the, the dollar wasn't stable, where houses were $90,000 in a gated community. What $90,000 you about to hide by in a gated community? Not nowhere in America. Like, I mean, so yeah, don't compare how I'm going through this, how you went through it. You had this, the, the, the beauty of having a stable economy through all of your adult life. I've already had two recessions and I just started tasting adulthood. I'm just tasting it. This girl says she got a taste. And mad at me. Like you're entirely right. Like we're basically a generation that was raised with abandonment issues when it comes to our job prospects because the job market has changed and yet they expect 
employee loyalty to kind of be the same. And it's just like, no, the market has changed. Therefore the people have changed, but also we've seen things wane and flow and we've seen what it looks like when the job market is done. You know, just as you said, they will cut people off and not think twice about it. So why shouldn't we do the same? And I think it also goes back to what Sarik was asking you about how so many jobs want to interview with and look into us, but what are we doing to do our due diligence, look into the job? So at the same time, I think we're just growing up in a place in a time where we're realizing the same way that the job market is treating us is how we need to treat it to play the game right. at the end of the day, you know? I know Ashley asked the question about having advice for other women in the workplace experiencing gender inequality. If we were to, to redefine that, make it more specific, do you have any advice for Black women in the workplace, just in general, making their way through and having to deal with some of the things that you've experienced and shared throughout this, this interview? Child, that, that's another, I'm gonna refresh my drink question. Um, honestly, honestly, as a, it's, it, it is hard as a Black woman in corporate, in industry, in anything. And the reason I say that is because I and this is going to, you know, I don't know how you want to feel about this. I blame reality TV. When I walk into a room, they think that I'm going to react like they see on TV. They automatically assume if I, if I raise my voice, I'm becoming NeNe Leaks. If I, if I assert myself, then I'm being aggressive. Like you, it's, it's almost this, this fine line you have to walk. Am I being too mean? Am I, am I being too aggressive? And this is going to sound, you know, I don't know what it's going to sound, how it's going to sound, I'm going to say it anyway. A lot of people who don't look like me will use that against you and start crying on you and make it seem like, oh, you the one being aggressive when the whole time she's been the one doing all this stuff. But the moment, because, you know, let's just be honest, Black women, we can get loud. And when we want to get your attention, we don't just get your attention. We get the whole room's attention. That's just how we go and how we roll and how we operate. So then when you're doing all this sly stuff on the, on the side, they only hear me. They only see me. Nobody has ever asked me, because I've been in HR more times than I should count. And not just one job, two jobs, three jobs. I stay in HR in whatever job I'm at because I speak up for myself. And so I'm in HR and I always ask them the same question. You were asking me why I said what I said. Okay, so are you going to ask her why she said what she said? You want to say something to me about my response. Are you going to say anything about the cause of my response? Never, never. So that's not good enough. If you're going to bring me in this office, then you won't have to bring her into. And nobody wants to do that. So most of the time I got sent back to my desk. So would your advice for other Black women be to be okay, stay in HR, stand up for yourself? Everybody ain't built like me. I'm going to be honest with you. Everybody's not built like me. I didn't, I didn't dealt with, you know, work with girls who look like me. It was like, oh, yeah, no, I got four kids. And it's also a difference when you have four or five kids and you got responsibilities and you got, there's a lot of times you just can't speak up for yourself. But when you do speak up for yourself, Black women, that's the reason I feel like you have to say something because you know us, Black women, we know each other. We let stuff simmer. And then right when the girl comes, now this is small. She skipped you in the copy line. Now you're ready to go over her head. Why? Because you let this slide, you let this slide, you let this slide, you let this slide. Now HR is looking at you like, oh, well, that response wasn't equal to what actually happened. You're being aggressive. And it wasn't. You shouldn't have slapped the girl for cutting you in the copy line. What you should have did is address her the first time she disrespected you. Or you should have addressed her the first time she threw you under the bus. Or the first time she took credit for your work. That's why you're mad. And that's why you explode. Like we have to. And even if you don't bring it to HR, because a lot of times we're told to take it to HR. HR don't always work for us. And so, I mean, there's a little advice, awesome advice. Yeah. 
everything don't have to go through HR, y'all. Y'all need to find y'all a direct manager that y'all can trust. Y'all need to find y'all a direct somebody above y'all that y'all can trust that you could actually talk to and get these situations resolved. Because I've had situations where I didn't go to HR, I went to a manager above me and they got with other managers and the situation resolved. Never got to HR. Because sometimes, not always, sometimes HR is against us. They use, they'll write down that you came in there and not write down what you came in there for. So I came here to complain about X, Y, and Z. It's just written down in my file that I came to visit HR. It don't always work. So y'all, we have to be careful as Black, because we, I mean, we're emotional creatures and we've been catching hell, especially in 2020. We have been catching hell. Like I get it. I get the outburst. And a lot of the time it has nothing to do with what's going on right then. It has everything to do with they shooting everybody in the streets. They disrespecting us. I'm, I just, I, I was riding to work and this white woman threw me the middle finger. Like it's just small stuff. And then when we get to work and then you thinking, okay, this is the one place where people are supposed to have my back. And they, well, when they, you know, you do all this work and then they, you know, dis, you know, show their ass and turn and disrespect you. It just makes you feel a certain type of way, which is why you react. So, but you, baby, we gotta, we gotta say something. My mom always said this, you catch a girl where she stands. You don't wait till she get around the corner and then go, no, you, if she disrespects you right there, you get her right there and you ain't got to be loud. We don't have to do all that. We good at it. We don't have to, but we have to address it. And if we don't address it, that's when we usually get to, we start blowing up and exploding and things get in the HR. And then people report you, like you've been, I've been in HR where I didn't even know I was going to be in HR. Somebody saw, somebody from another department saw something with me and somebody else and they reported me to HR. That's another thing you always have to be, you know, black women, we're being watched, y'all. I don't know if y'all knew that. Everywhere you go, sweetie, I don't care where you are, black women, you are being watched. They are watching you. They're waiting on you to slip up like they are. And this, and people are like, oh, no, Aria, that's paranoid. Now I've been in corporate long enough to know it's true. Like, I know it's true. I know I'm being watched. They're waiting on, and a lot of the times, if, and that's why I say don't expose yourself. A lot of the times, if you, because, you know, we also, we also have to work harder. We have to be, you have to look nicer. We have to be, we have to smell better. We have to have our hair done. We have to do so much stuff. So, you know, when we go into these offices, most of the time we are the hardest working there just because we have to keep our job. Uh, you get a lot of targets on your back because of that. And it, it has nothing to do with you trying to outshine anybody. You're just trying to stay on payroll. So there's, you just have to be on guard 100%. And I know it sucks because a black woman, I'm, I'm on guard when I'm in the car. I'm on guard when I go home. I'm on guard when I go. But you also have to be on guard when you're at work. It's just one of those things. Unless you work for yourself. And everybody ain't blessed to be there. So. I know you mentioned something just now about someone may have kids. And that sacrifice of speaking up or saying something might be a little bit more lofty than somebody else. Is there any added responsibility for an individual to to take up that role or to take up that voice? Well, yeah, I think the responsibility is there, but will you know? Will they do it? No, I mean that's and not just in the workplace. That's everywhere. How many times have you been in the grocery store? Somebody says something crazy to you, and everybody is looking at what, and nobody ever speaks up for it. You know, me and Ashley was at a restaurant. We was getting accosted by two other women while we sitting there. Not once did the, even the waiter say anything. That's just what ha- we are like. We're in a position where regardless of where you are, you feel unprotected. And so, yeah, you can be like, hey, that's the manager's responsibility or the CEO's responsibility to say something. And, but they're not, they're not. So yes, they do have the responsibility, but they're not. So that's when you take on the responsibility to just protect you. And I know sometimes it's hard because like we said, we social justice warriors. We want to protect everybody. But in the workplace, that's not a simple thing to do because you know what you might want and maybe two other people might want might not be what the majority want. And so when you're in a corporate, you know, a corporate workplace and you're dealing with, you know, whatever kind of teams that you're dealing with, some battles just aren't worth it. 
and I've even, I don't have kids. I don't, and I just got a mortgage, but I've even gotten in a situation where I didn't say anything because I just didn't think it was worth it. I knew what was happening was wrong. I knew that somebody needed to say something, but I knew that it wasn't worth it for me to say anything because it had nothing directly to do with me. And times where I have jumped in for somebody else's defense because I felt like they were doing, they were being done wrong and they were being disrespected. That same person told me to stay out their business. Done and done. So I just, you gotta, I mean, you gotta be caught, you gotta be smart when you're working in corporate. It's just crazy. You had mentioned um, also, Ariel, about protecting your peace. Do you have any other suggestions or any other thoughts on how you've protected your peace throughout your career in, in corporate, not it, and now nonprofit work? Honestly, I think I'm just now getting to the point where I'm, I'm getting good at it. I don't think I was good at it for a very long time because, and I, and the reason I wasn't good at it is because I take what I do so seriously. I, I love being a CPA. I love being an accountant. And I just, there are certain things about it that I just, I just take very seriously. Then you get in places where they don't feel that same way. They could care less about how accounting is. And so I found myself frustrated and fighting everybody and arguing and always mad and ready to attack this person until I realized, baby, you're just exchanging time and service for money. If they don't want their books to be clean, them ain't your books. If they don't care about the internal controls around here, this ain't your company. You do what you're supposed to do. You do what they asked you to do. Your job description was given to you upon hiring. Do that. And then everything else, if it don't fall into place, that has nothing to do with me because my name ain't on the door. Now, if my name was on the door, then yes, then that, that makes, that I should get more involved and I should, I, it, it's, it's a disconnect. It's realizing that that's not your house. That is not your family. That, those aren't your responsibilities. Your responsibilities are your job duties, not the people around you. And I, you know, like I said, I'm just now getting to that point because I can, you knew me a year or two ago. You knew I wasn't there. Like I took everything and I put it on my back because I feel like this is my department. I got to clean this up. No, it's not, Ariel. No, it's not. Like if you just get to the point that you realize, look, I got to do this because I need to pay my rent. I got to do this because I need to, you know, buy food and that kind of stuff. But as far as like taking all that additional stress that employers will put on you because they know that you'll be willing to do it. I've been in places where they know I'm the hardest worker and they'll just keep piling stuff on me because they know I'm not going to say no. They know I'm not going to say I can't do it. So when I say protect your peace, protect people from that, like that from you. Like, and, and don't, and my mom always said, don't let them know how good you are. Because when they find out, especially as a person of color, I don't care. I don't care what color you are. If you're a person of color and they find out that your capacity is this much, they're going to put a little bit even more on there to see if you can jump that hurdle. But they're not going to do that to your counterpart. Not. Matter of fact, you're going to be working the hardest and he's going to get all the recognition. Like that's just how it goes. So you could either get mad at that. You can be like, man, this is unfair. Or you can say, I'm exchanging time and service for money. I'm not doing all this extra stuff. Have your golden star. Do all this extra stuff. So Ariel, is there anything else out of everything that we've talked about so far, anything else that you want to share with us that either we haven't asked about or do you have any questions for us? 
Um, I guess, you know, one, I want to say, you know, thank you for asking me to be a part of this. But as far as like the conversation, I mean, I, you know, I think that it's, it's good that, you know, you're having this conversation, that you're talking to people and getting their experiences and whatnot. Because like I said, my experience is different than other people. Like, you know, we talk a lot about gender inequality. I didn't, I've never, you know, really experienced that. I have, you know, experienced a lot of racial, you know, inequality. So you bringing in people who've had these different, you know, stories and had these different aspects and bringing them all together, you know, I think that's admirable. So congratulations to both of y'all for doing that. Um, and just in conclusion, you know, just being a person of color, I don't know when this is going to air, but the election is coming up, y'all. And um, y'all be careful. I don't care who wins, we all lose. How about that? So y'all just need to make sure that y'all are protected. Like, and this is the best way it was explained to me. We're all in this old beat up blue car trying to make it down the rest of 2020. Now we know this car is beat up. We don't want this car. We wanted the gay car that they had in front of us, but they didn't want to give us the K car. They gave us the old beat up car. Okay, well we gonna ride this car and ride. Cause what else is the red car? The red car is driving us off the cliff. So, I mean, I, what I don't want y'all to do though, what I don't want y'all to do as people of color is to think once we get red out and we get blue in, oh, everything is gonna be fine. Oh, no, you know, no words. It's going to be like right after Obama. We was out in the street. Obama. No, it is not. People are going to be angry. And, and because of how, how divided our country is and how ugly it is and the fact that we're in the, in the thick of a pandemic when nobody has jobs, girls about to get foreclosed on. They're, loose, they're being evac I mean, evicted out of their homes. Like they're in food pantry. We are in a bad place in this country, a very bad place. And usually when the country's in a bad place, the people who suffer the most are people of color. That's just how it is. When the recession hit, if everybody get affected 30%, we get affected 60%. If everybody, you know, if we, if the people get evicted at 30%, we get evicted at 50%. That's just how it is. So, okay, knowing that, and you know that the election is coming up, y'all just take some precautions and y'all don't just think that everything is over because they, you know, got the blue car in. The, the, the blue car is just a, a separate side of the same coin. Nobody's going to come to your house and fix your situation. You need to fix your household. By, and whatever that means, whether that means finance, emotional, spiritual, I don't know what your ailment is, but fix it. Because I don't care who get elected, nobody is going to fix it. And, and one more thing, the reason that, you know, a lot of people have been asking me, are you, why do you think people are so mad? Why do you think people are so angry? Why are we getting this influx of Karens and that kind of stuff? Well, we get this influx because they're angry just like we are. They, you know, when they was, old, you know, younger, their grandmas was like the debutantes of the neighborhood. You know, they had Cadillacs and they went to, you know, they had all the stuff. And they looking at themselves like, why I don't have the lifestyle my granny got? They mad. Like, they mad. That's why. And most of Karens are older, 50, 60-year-old white women. Because they're not the debutantes that their grandma was. That's not your fault. What you what you have to realize is, look, they're going to stay mad. Even if Trump stayed in there, they're going to stay mad. Like, they just, you have to take care of you. And Black folks, this is one of the most, I'm just, I'm so scared for people of color right now. I am so scared because I think that we just think that, oh, every, the blue wave, we're just going to. People are going to be angry and, and they're going to have time on their hands. Did you not, do you not see the protests getting larger and larger? They're not getting larger and larger just because, oh, well, we just really want to be social justice warriors. People are being laid off by the dust. And when you laid off and have nothing, you about to lose your house. You have nothing to lose, y'all. So y'all just, that's my advice. Y'all hold on. Like y'all hold on. Like we have been through worse. My mama said, my mama didn't went through all the racist presidents. She didn't went through all of them. She's still yet here. We we just keep on track and we just, you know, we just hold on. That's mine. Oh, sorry. Typically, 
we ask lastly, Ariel, I know you, you might have something to add here. Anything in addition to that, that you want to shout out, maybe a, a personal page you got? Um, well, yeah, I mean, you know, I work on, you know, help people with their personal finances. You want to do, you know, check me out, done being broke. You type in done being broke, it's a little symbol come up with a dollar sign and say done being broke. That's me. That's me. Um, and I'm on Facebook. I'm on the Twitter, but I don't do much Twitter. Um, and then I'm on uh, TikTok. Now, TikTok I like. So if y'all on the TikTok, y'all go check me out. Done being broke on the TikTok. Also, I just want to give a shout out to Sarita Ashley for bringing me in on the change jar. Y'all check them out. What's going on, y'all? All right, guys, thanks for tuning in. This has been Aria Smith with The Change Jar. See y'all next week. That's all we have for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. To hear more about this topic, visit our website where you can find all of our latest podcasts and more. Thanks for listening to The Change Jar, where we're more than just a penny for your thoughts.